Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, cultural enrichment, and all-inclusive fares. Discover more at viking.com. I'm Barbara Marcus. I'm president and publisher of Random House Children's Books, the home of Dr. Seuss and life-affirming books for children that help them grow up to be wonderful, reading, literate adults. I think you really have to have a strong sense of self, a vision, and an understanding of whatever industry you are going to be participating in because you're going to go into places where people have nine to five jobs and you need to offer value. You need to understand what your value proposition is. This is Secrets of Wealthy Women from the Wall Street Journal, helping women empower themselves financially. Now, Veronica Dagger. Barbara Marcus is a publishing veteran and president of the children's division at Random House. She discusses how a long career in business and marketing fueled her latest chapter of success. So, Barbara, when you graduated college, you had thought about going to med school, but you went into publishing instead. Would you tell us about that? Well, when I graduated college, I think the decision to be a doctor was somewhat legacy. My um, my cousin is a doctor. We're not a family of doctors, but we're a family of charitable giving to institutions. My grandfather was treasurer of Maimonides Hospital in Brooklyn for my entire life. So I knew, and my father was a dentist. So not quite a doctor, but a dentist. So being in the area of helping people and really taking care of people was some very strong conviction in my life. But when I got out of college, I thought, oh my God, I need to take a break. And when I was in college, I had been head of my lecture bureau and had brought amazing authors and famous people onto the campus, like Muhammad Ali, um, Jane Fonda, really, (laughs) I'm going to age myself just naming all the people. We all know Muhammad Ali (laughs) and Jane Fonda. So I decided, so I knew people in publishing because of that. But I decided to take a break and just take a job. I loved being in New York City. I had gone to school in Boston. I wanted to take advantage of that. So I interviewed for a bunch of jobs, and one of them was in publishing. And it was connected because it was the publisher had a lecture bureau. So I got to go, hello, Barbara Marcus, Bantam Lecture Bureau, and book authors on campuses. And that was my first job. And I stayed in publishing. How neat. How do you keep that free spirit in the workplace? My, I start with my office, which is filled with obviously children's books, but children's toys and things that are amusing and inspirational. We have a, um, both um, a mindset at our business that we need to have fun. We have um, a fun and celebration committee that plans events and parties. So we we do get downtime. We have at Halloween, we um, wear costumes. At, at the holidays, we had um, one year we did it in the office and we had all sorts of decorations, including I learned about 
pickles. There are pickles for Christmas, which I never knew about. But we okay. Well, something you learned today too. Um, So we we do things like that. We do birthday celebrations where we just sit for an hour or so and go around the room and talk about our. where where we've been, what we're excited about, our astrological sign. So we always try and mix it up. At the same time, we volunteer in a school that 30% of the students live in homeless shelters. So we also reach out to our community, not only our community that can afford our books, but also our community who needs our books. Do people ever feel a bit awkward in the workplace, you know, dressing up for the Halloween party, for example? If they do, they don't do it. With it is not, we also realize there are all sorts of, as there are all sorts of children's books and all sorts of children's, there are all sorts, all sorts of adults. And we we let everyone be who they want to be So you, for those occasions. <laughs> got it. So you worked as a consultant for a while, and then you came back to sort of a nine-to-five corporate America situation. What advice would you give to women who are thinking about leaving the tr- traditional corporate workplace and starting their own business? I think it is all about, and this, this is where I always get um, nervous, I think you need to know what you can accomplish on your own. I think to say I'm leaving the workplace, which is quite regimented in all those ways, you know when you have to be there, you know what you have to accomplish, hopefully. Um, And so when you leave, you really need to know what you're going to, uh, what you can offer and what you can accomplish on your own. And so how do you figure that out? I think you really have to have a strong sense of self, a vision, and an understanding of whatever industry you are going to be participating in. Because you're going to go in to places where people have nine-to-five jobs, and you need to offer value. You need to understand what your value proposition is. Do you figure that vision out before you leave and start your own business, or do you do it? Are you kind of figuring that out as you have you're developing your business? I, I, I don't. I think I think all all of the above, but um, I do think it would be good to have a sense of the um, industry you hope to interact with, so you understand what you can offer them. It doesn't have to be absolute, but I do think you have to have some sense of it. You kids, how did motherhood or did motherhood affect your career path at all? Um, yes, it made me better. How so? Because um, it showed me lots of, it, it always, which I say about lots of things, it always shows you, um, you can, I always say I'm a bad lever. I hate to leave my house and I hate to leave my job. Hmm. So when you have a bigger world of children who are asking you great questions, having needs. It just broadens your perspective. And it it is wonderful. It's just a wonderful thing having children. And I, I don't recommend it. It's not a prerequisite for anything, but it is a wonderful experience. Did you ever have to scale back your career at any point or your ambitions at any point to raise your kids? Well, I was quite lucky. My husband was entrepreneurial and had sold an early business, and we made the decision after a little bit of time that he would uh, take on a lot of that responsibility. 
Interesting. Um, so you are president of the Education Fund of the Women's Forum of New York, and that helps uh, pay the way for the education of women who have overcome extreme obstacles. So I'm wondering what the biggest resilience lesson you've learned from some of the women the Education Fund helps out. I think the the um, the women who who decide to apply for this um, award are women who have really made a choice, and a choice that's not an easy one. I mean, you know, in many of us, we yes, we make choices about our career, but these are women who have definitely either were on a path or came from a place that a path to get an education um, was not valued, and they have made that decision. Um, it is their stick to itness, their their sense of they're on a path. They're not only doing it for themselves; they're doing it for their families. They want to be role models for their community, for their children. Um, they really have a mission. These women, and and it does broaden me, you know, to say, wow, these women are incredibly dedicated to get a career, to show their families what they can do, and to give back to society. It is really quite amazing. What lessons do you think every other woman kind of can take away from that in terms of reinvention or resilience? I think you have to um, just applaud what these women are doing. And in reinvention, I would say you have to look at these women and say, not only, I would take it a different way to say, I want to help these women. I want to figure out how to uh, support women. You know, we say women helping women is a really important aspect. And I think that it broadens me, I would say, to answer your question, that women who are thinking of making a change, I think knowing that um, the change they're making is complex, not as complex as many of our applicants and our awardees, but it is complex and it's never as simple as you think it's going to be. Coming up, Barbara Marcus talks about the importance of being a leader and why mentorship has been a key factor in her success. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive, with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com. You're listening to Secrets of Wealthy Women from The Wall Street Journal. So you had said you had a lot of high-profile mentors throughout your career. And so I'm just wondering what advice would you give to women who want to get that high-profile mentor to help them advance? I think it's just really about asking. I think people are, um, I think on both sides, uncomfortable to say, um, I, I would love your point of view not just about my um, assignment, but about your viewpoint of what works in this business. And I also think that um, bosses 
are um, or our supervisors are also um, capable, incredibly capable of giving advice. But I think there's always sort of that position of of uh, what's the correct roles. But I was always lucky enough to ask. I did ask. Did you ask and like write them an email or did you, you know, call them up or how did you? It would uh, be in a meeting. In a meeting. You know, they'd be giving me the assignment and I would ask five more questions. And sometimes they would say, I really can't answer that right now. I'm going into another meeting. But most of the time, I think people are interested in um, giving their point of view, if not um, in the spirit of being a mentor, they're happy to give their point of view. And you can learn that way, too. You're president of Children's Book Publishing at Scholastic when the Harry Potter manuscript was first acquired. How did you know the book was going to be such a big hit in America? It was already in the UK, but how did you know it would translate? Well, I think you, I want to bring it back. I was running around my office saying, go to Ireland, find a leprechaun. We really need some wonderful fantasy. Because <laughs> at the time, there, most of the books that were being published were very realistic. And I had grown up on both fairy tales and Mary Poppins and my favorite book, which doesn't isn't really popular today, Edward Eager's Half Magic, but they all were wonderful fantasies that, that featured children as the main characters and often the hero or heroines. So I was, um, when we had the opportunity to get the galley of um, Harry Potter and then it was the Philosopher's Stone we changed it to the Sorcerer's Stone. I knew it had the ingredients. Did I know it was going to be a phenomenon? I will say absolutely not. I thought it, we were buying a classic that I would read to my children, my children would read to their children. I felt it would go on forever. It had that incredible sense of um, ordinary people doing extraordinary things. And I felt that was really sort of very appealing. Um, we were in an auction, and I did not have a chance to read it, and I gave it to my daughter, who is now in her 30s, um, and said, what do you think of that? She was a voracious reader, and she said, Mom, this is better than Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. So that gave me incentive. And then we just, it, it is no money right now, but at the time, we were going to get this book and we bid till we won the auction. And that was what, $100,000 or something? A little bit above that. A little bit above that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was sort of groundbreaking at the time though, right? Wasn't it? Yes. Set a record. Unknown writer, yep. British writer. Um, I don't know if it broke a record, but it was definitely... Um, a very, very high bid for an unknown book. So how did the success of Harry Potter change your life? Because it changed a lot of people's lives in different ways. Um, it made me realize that um, there was room in the world for wonderful inspiration for children, for adults. Um, and it made me even more hopeful about um, a career choice I had made, which I was in adult publishing, and I went to children's publishing. And to be honest, some people at the time said I was, uh, I was doing something that would cause myself professional suicide. 
<laughs> is that seen as less than some, by some in people? In those days, Interesting. not anymore. And I think because there were people like me who really believed in the magic of children's books. And Harry Potter was really transforming. What's the biggest financial mistake you ever made? Not taking a chance. You know, my business is all about creativity and um, some business acumen, which is, um, you know, acquiring companies, looking at companies. But I would feel there's no there's no big one. Um, but I would say when I sort of catch myself and hold myself and not take a chance, reviewing it if it's a business to make sure I understand all the nuances of how the business will do going forward and the integration and all those things. And with creative properties that I have or my editors or the company has a vision of how it will it will look in the marketplace. But I think that's my biggest failure when I when I don't take a chance. What about in your personal financial life? Is there something that you would wish you had done different even when you're, say, a teenager or at any point in your life that you feel like, oh, this is a you know, personal finance mistake that I caution my kids against, for example? I would say I don't have one, to be honest. I'm pretty happy with where I am financially, I always would like to do better. But I must admit um, that perhaps I am a little more conservative than in my personal life than I may be in my professional life. Um, and if perhaps I have made some choices that are conservative, that if I had been more risk-taking may have panned out. What's the best personal finance advice you ever heard? Don't... Um, do that middle of the ground, middle of the road, pardon me, middle of the road, where you are doing things that you want to do and taking care of putting a little aside or as much aside as makes you comfortable for things you may want to do and you just don't know it yet. What are the three best career pieces of advice or three best career tips you ever received? I would say um, to be expansive in both your work and your tangential uh, workplace because you don't know where the right person that's going to help with your business or your personal life may reside. And if you just keep your head down the whole time, you may miss some great opportunities. That would be the first thing. I think... Um, Reading as much as you can about anything that interests you is really important. Um, and the third thing, I guess, is to make sure you are um, involved with not just your business, but the business of the company you are working in. Because again, times change, business conditions change, and you never know what Will, you will be able to either participate in or what you will be called on to do. What do you mean, like, know the business of the business? Of well, if you're in a division and there are many other things happening in the company and you don't pay attention to them, I think you may miss out on the direction of the company, what's important to the company, and you will be find yourself in a place that you are... Um, narrowly cast as a kind of person 
that can contribute a certain kind of thing to the company. And if you're not that person, don't behave like that person. And that helped you, right, when you're, one of your companies reorged? Absolutely. Can you elaborate on that? I have been in positions right. where um, we have acquired companies, not exactly the company I would acquire, but management, um, some of management felt it's important and I take them over. I definitely believe that you have to understand um, the management's vision and also what you can do to really sort of take the bones of the business and make it into something that you feel can succeed. I think what's important that every um, person, but especially women with the educational fund, because it is helping other women, is that we understand that um, many of us, especially the women in the Women's Forum, but many women in, in uh, the country are, are quite lucky. And if we can give to others and give back, then we know we are, are passing it on and building a bigger um, world of women who are going to contribute and change the world. And we all know, as much as we are very fond of our partners who are another gender, that it is really important for women to help women. Time now for your secrets. I'm Barbara Marcus, and my money secret is that I act like I'm in my first job. Even though I know I have much more money, I think about it. I think about how I spend my money. Be sure to check out our ebook based on the Secrets podcast. WSJ subscribers can download their copy of Resilience, How 20 Ambitious Women Use Obstacles to Fuel Their Success, for free on WSJ.com today. This episode was produced by Tanya Bustos. I'm Veronica Dagger. Thanks for listening. This message comes from Viking, committed to exploring the world in comfort. Journey through the heart of Europe on an elegant Viking longship with thoughtful service, destination-focused dining, and cultural enrichment on board and on shore. And every Viking voyage is all-inclusive with no children and no casinos. Discover more at viking.com.